welcome back to the What The Folk podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Today's guest is a former Falkirk hero that scored over 60 career goals for the likes of Dundee, St Mirren and Dunfermline. Welcome to the show, Rory Lowe. How are you doing? Are you all right? Yeah, not too bad. Glad to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. It's all right. Thanks for doing it, chap. Always, uh, always a pleasure when someone actually agrees to come on, so thanks for that. Um, we're going to be discussing your career, obviously, in full, but obviously we'll start off with the, the most recent things, as we usually do. You left Dumbarton at the end of the 2019-20 season. What have you been up to since you left? Um, so, when I was at Dumbarton, I worked on... Worked on the railway. They they gave us a job on the railway as well as signing with them on a part time basis. Mm-hmm. Never really worked out for me. I had a really bad back injury, and to be honest, the railway wasn't really suited to me. So I knew very very quickly that the the work side of things wasn't working out. So took a bit of a leap of faith and and just changed completely from kind of football and um and the railway as well. So what I ended up doing was just applying for a job within Sky, literally just working on the phones. And I still played for them Barton at this point, or I was still there, but it became clear very, very quickly that I wasn't going to be able to recover from the, the back injury. So I've worked really, really hard over the last couple of years, uh, working my way up within the business, currently uh, in what is effectively a seconded manager role at the moment. Enjoying that, um, really enjoying working for Sky and, and all, the, all the things that come with it. Um, but still keep a, a one eye on football side of things um, as I was chatting to you a bit before we started recording there the, the license is something which I've got behind me and the, the kind of the background to what I'm doing at the moment involves working with people and um, working with squads of people and, and teams of people so um, the coaching side of things is certainly an element I would be interested in moving forward and the, the management side of things. Yeah absolutely it's funny you, you should mention sort of working with Sky obviously we touched off of record before I had a, a little bit of time there about a year ago um with Sky as well and, and fully enjoyed it I've got to say but um one thing that I've always quite liked about a, a contact center role shall we say because I worked for three for a lot longer was probably the camaraderie you get with like a call center which is kind of odd people kind of are quite quick to shit on jobs like in a call center but the camaraderie is second to none for me it's it's always been brilliant and it does mirror probably what you had on, on a football pitch and I think a lot of people when it comes to the end of the career, really miss that. Have you found kind of an enjoyment in that as well, and working in within a call centre environment? Absolutely, and as a business, they're so supportive, and there's so many opportunities to develop and progress. And I think the advantage I've got is, as a footballer, I did it for 15 years. You you have a natural want to do well. You're competitive, and you want to to take the most of, out of every opportunity. So. Um, I think that's ingrained in you as a footballer. You want success, you want to do well at whatever you're doing. So with that mindset and working for a business like Sky, um, it's a recipe for success in terms of moving up the chain quickly. So currently working on doing that at the moment. Um, and like I said, I've been there for two years and you're absolutely right. It comes with kind of negative connotations, the whole contact centre um, side of things. I mean, I was in football since I was 16. So it was a, I would describe it as a leap of faith going from football and the railway across to that side of things, but it was just, I had to change. Uh, I wasn't happy anymore for a number of reasons, and I, I did that, and you're absolutely right, there is a lot of camaraderie there, and yeah, the call centres get a bad, um, kind of bad rap, and, you know, and a negative, people view them negatively, but my experience of working with Sky so far has been very much the opposite. I've, I've loved it. I really have. I would like to try and um, get my toe back in the water on the football side of things, like I said, whether it be a coaching role or 
whatever it may be, you know, obviously management is 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 very very competitive. But the role I'm doing at the moment, combined with my my license and my experience within football, I, I don't see why I wouldn't be well fitted to a role. Um, and you know, the, the kind of the media side of things, podcast discussing football. I'm currently doing one at the moment. Um, with SM Media, so that's that's been really good as well. So I've, I've really enjoyed kind of everything I've done since leaving the button. I have to, I have to say. When it comes to like you mentioned the media stuff, I've had a obviously a few footballers on here. Some of them done like their first interview since they've retired. Some of them doing the twenty seventh, and they all kind of say it's quite nice sometimes when you get towards the end of your career or or you retire to look back and survey your career. It's it's kind of um, I'm trying to think of the word. There's an element of closure that you can have with it by speaking about it. Is that kind of evident? Do you think? I think so. Obviously, there's listen that not every player will reach their potential for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Had things happened slightly differently, I probably would have played till I was 35 at a decent level, uh, whether that be the bottom half of the SPL or the top half of the championship. But the way my life worked and the way things worked, which we'll probably touch on as we go through the call. Um, it, it never really came to fruition that way, but I, I look back in my career and the, the experience of, experiences I had, especially you know the, the life experiences earlier on and my time with Rangers, the places I went, the, the squads I was part of. I know I didn't get much time on the pitch, but you know you look back at these things now, and at the time you took it for granted. And some some of the and I think it really hits home working in the environment I work in at the moment. You know you've got a lot of big football fans in that environment, and I think it really hits home. Some of the stories you tell there, you know they're blown away by some of the experiences I've had. And I think that, you know, once you step out of that football environment, you you realise how privileged you were to be a part of it. Yeah, I can imagine so very much. Yeah, I think everyone's... I suppose when you've been involved in football, the clubs you're involved in, you, you could probably come across in a call centre environment a few supporters of those clubs as well who recognise you from sort of face value. So I imagine that would have been sort of awkward but quite humbling at the same time, maybe, if that happened. Yeah, I mean, I didn't say to anyone, so it was important for me that whilst I do, you know, whilst it's great to to have had that career, I wanted to be known as somebody who was going to come in and work hard and, and do that job. But I didn't, you know, footballers, there's a preconceived idea about footballers at, at times, so probably unfounded, to be fair, um, but I was slightly concerned of what people might think of it or how they would react to it, so I didn't really say anything to begin with. Um, I wanted to be known as is somebody who was going to come in, work hard, and, and wanted to do well, first and foremost. So I didn't want to go in um, with everyone kind of saying, oh, you know, Rory, the, the ex-footballer, that, that type of idea. I wanted to build um, another career for myself, and I wanted to do it um, through working hard. So, But as time's moved on, and I've got to know people, and, and you know, you invest your time, and you invest, um, you know, details of your previous uh, your past with people, uh, you know, you have these discussions, you have these discussions and yeah, it, it can be quite humbling at times, but at the same time, people are just interested, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a universal language football, isn't it? So there's always some sort of experience across sort of the globe with and everyone you meet almost, it's very rare not to meet a football fan, um, in my honest yeah. opinion. I've been having my house renovated this week and there's been three or four different people who've came in. Every single one of them has been football daft and it's kind of a way to converse and almost make friends, isn't it? I think, in my opinion, hence why I'm, I'm doing a podcast <laughs> so I yeah. can chat a bit of football. But um, I suppose short answer then before we go into your career, do you think that's your career as a professional footballer, like on the play? side done then? Yes, I think so. I mean, I'm 33. I was 33 on Friday. Um, I I don't harbour many ambitions. You know, I, I miss a Saturday. Um, I miss, it's crazy to say, 
you know, I look back now and everyone talks about the hours in football and, you know, that kind of finishing early on, one o'clock, having that time to yourself. It's, it's an aspect which I, I didn't particularly enjoy, I must say, um, getting in the house at that time. But working for Sky, it's non-stop. It's, it's hectic. It's ever-changing. And you're always, you know, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with customers. And I, I really enjoyed that side of it, I must say. The only thing I miss about the playing side is the buzz of a Saturday. There's obviously no fans at the moment, but scoring that goal or looking forward to that game, whether you're playing a Hibs or a Hearts or a Rangers, or if you're down south, I played in League One, visiting one of the bigger grounds, you know, your Sheffield, your Sheffield United, Southampton's, they were all in the league at the time. So I miss the buzz of a Saturday. I miss the adrenaline and I miss the challenge of performing and that, just that little bit in you, that the reason you wanted to be a football in the first place. So I, I do miss a lot of that. But the actual week-to-week stuff, I don't harbour any ambitions of of getting back into the playing side. Like I said, you know, over the course of the coming years, I'll definitely be trying to dip my toe into the... Listen, I, the coaching side appeals to me, but it's more managing people that I enjoy. Um, yeah. And with the experience I've got coupled up with that licence, that's that's something I will try and um, make use of at some point. So we'll rewind back to your time as a, a youth then. Obviously, you were born in Dumfries, but I think you grew up in Stranraer, is that right? Yes, indeed. Um, it's quite a remote part of the country. Very difficult to get um, picked up or spotted in terms of, you know, trying to make an impact or, or get in with a pro youth team, etc. So, grew up in Stranraer um, and had to, you know, I was a late developer in terms of getting picked up. So, played, I think it was 13, 14, uh, I played with a, a team called Govan, um, which is a, a small town in Ayrshire, mm-hmm. then moved up to United and then eventually signed for Kilmarnock. I was going to say, because obviously, I know Stranraer is about the best part of an hour, an hour and a half away from, from uh, Dumfrey, but my girlfriend's from Dumfries, and let's just say, I think the majority of um, the majority of people I've met from Dumfries seem to be quite true Blue Rangers fans from what I've come across, or Queen of the South. Who is it your, your family and, and yourself followed growing up? Um, so, I mean, growing up in Stranraer... Uh, you get as many people supporting teams from down south because, I mean, it's a good two-hour drive from Glasgow, so there's not that goldfish bowl effect where you support Rangers or Celtic. Mm-hmm. It is it, There's a variety there. Um, so, me personally, I supported Rangers growing up, but that was just solely based on being a wee guy who's seen Rangers being successful, and that was the team I kind of enjoyed watching when I was young. There was no... My family had no... You know, my uncle supports Rangers, but other than that, like my mum and my dad, they no interest in, in football really or supporting uh, any team. So there was no influence from that side of things. It would it would be Rangers' success during my time growing up through the nineties that that attracted me to, to to being a Rangers fan because, like I said, there was no real influence within the family home or e- even at school. To be honest, I would say that Stranraer is probably a bigger Rangers place than it is a Celtic place. However, mm. th- there is um, there probably isn't that feistiness that comes with being a Rangers or Celtic supporter in Glasgow. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's difficult to replicate. There's areas on the outskirts which tend to go green or, or, or go, go blue. But the more footballers I speak to, the more I realise sometimes it's less teams and it's more individuals people sort of uh, gravitate to. Like, you touched on it before, Rangers had tons of players that were not just successful for Rangers, but iconic sort of the world over. Like, you know, Gascoigne, mid-90s, you had Laudrup, mid-90s, Ali McCoyst, of course. Was there any Rangers players that you looked at and sort of idolised growing up as a, a, you know, a real young kid? Yeah, Brian Laudrup absolutely was was my hero growing up. He was different class. 
and obviously being part of that that team who who were uh, achieved nine in a row and things and you know living in Sunrar, I think I visited two games in my time um, and went so I, I, I got to two games in my time went up to Ibrooks with my dad and um, we went and watched Rangers a couple of times and he was outstanding in both of those games and I he was just he was different class I was very quick when I was young as well growing up so he, he suited the way I played and he was very similar to me well not maybe not ability wise he had a wee bit more than me right enough but um, <laughs> he was somebody that certainly that I idolised and, and looked up to and you know wanted to to be like you've always got that sort of favourite don't you I mean mine was um, I'm a Sunderland fan so, um, and as a as a Sunderland fan it's quite weird. People go, did you think you were Quinn or Phillips or whoever? And I was always Alan Johnson for some bizarre reason. Um, I was right-footed and I liked cutting in. Nowhere near enough talent to, to beat Alan Johnson, but there you go. That tends to go down a little bit better with Hearts fans than it does Rangers fans, I must be honest. Um, played, played with Alan Johnson a couple of times throughout my career. Sticky, they called him. That's his nickname because they both stick to his feet. You can't get it off him. Oh, terrific player. I loved, loved Alan Johnson. I think when we got him, he just scored... He scored the hat rate against Rangers, I think, for Hearts, and he got um, labelled in the paper. I think it was Magic Johnson, and Magic always stuck with us. But then he went to went to Rangers after a contract dispute, I think, and it, it didn't really work out, which is a bit of a shame. But probably the best left winger I've ever seen in my time, and as a Sunderland fan, a um, little bit different looking now. Though I think he's lost quite a bit of hair comparison to when I watched him when I was young. I've noticed yeah. on the telly the other day. Um, you touched on before that you went to sort of A United, but I think. Um, to public knowledge, it was you joined Kilmarnock, I think, at like 14. Now, what I was going to ask, and you maybe answered that already, but you'll maybe be able to put a bit more meat on the bones of the question for me. But um, obviously, living in Stranraer, Kilmarnock, A, is not close, not massively. Um, how did you juggle sort of schoolwork, travel, and, and playing for a team that was as far away from home as as, as uh, Kilmarnock was? Sorry. So I had one year um, being at school and, and playing for Kilmarnock before I, I joined permanently. So I only had one season at Air United before I went up to Kilmarnock. But it wasn't it wasn't easy. I mean, you need the commitment of your family, regardless of whether you you know you live nearby a training ground or nearby a club, you need that emotional support as, as a young player from your family and people around you because it's not always going to go swimmingly. You're always going to have setbacks. So not only to have that emotional support from my family, but also have the commitment. I used to get picked up on a Tuesday and a Thursday from school, straight home, eat my dinner, up the road. Kilmarnock used to train at Beeve. Um, used to train there in Ayrshire probably about an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes from where I stayed, uh, straight back down the road for whatever time it may be, midnight, in bed. Um, I, I would do that on a Tuesday and a Thursday, then we'd have the game on a Saturday. So it took a big commitment. I wanted to do it. I loved playing football and I wanted to do well. So for me, it was enjoyable. Um, but the commitment from my dad, especially driving, but my mum as well, who would come up regularly and you know, stand at the side of freezing cold pitch in Stranraer during the, during the winter leagues and stuff. Um, aye, it was challenging, is what I would say, but I was lucky enough to have that support around me to, to be able to, to go on and make a career of it. Could be wrong with this, but were you coming through at Killy at the same time as Neil Collins then? Or was that slightly a couple of years between? So Neil Collins, he came in on, I'm pretty sure he came in on trial, or he was in for a couple of weeks, but certainly wasn't a, a permanent player when I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I don't remember much about much about him. I remember he trained with us a few times, but I, I don't remember him signing or being being a mainstay at Kabbalah during the time I was there. Yeah, I couldn't remember if, if you were around the same sort of age. And obviously, he was on the show a few weeks ago and we, we discussed that. But Kelly, um, 
obviously I used to live in the Drossen and Killy were quite a close team. There was a lot of young lads, you know, had talent would go there and Killy seemed to bring in a lot of players. Um really do well with them and, and, and put them on a really good um footing to get into professional football. And I sometimes feel you look at Hamilton and you look at Motherwell and they seem to be getting a lot of the plaudits outside of the old firm for developing younger players. But Kilmarnock seemed to have a pretty decent production reel as well. How good was your, your sort of youth days at Killy then? Either were brilliant. I think you're looking back now, obviously it's the least money I've ever earned in my career. And you know, you are going in at half eight in the morning. I mean, back then, when they say jobs for the young boys, it was a half eight to five o'clock or whatever Jim Jeffries told you, you could go home. That that was how it worked. Yeah. But looking back now, despite all of those things, it's probably the happiest two years or the, the, the most fun two years of your career and your, your apprenticeship. Um, you know, the pressure isn't there as much. Um, you're all close-knit. You've got a great group of boys. You're, you're young and you're all trying to push towards doing well. So... It was it was really really good to be fair. We used to go in in the mornings and like I said, half past eight. We used to have to back in the day pump up the balls before training, deflate them after training because they, you only got so many balls from the whoever supplies them, the SFA or the SPL, um, for the season ahead. So we had to make sure they were in good nick. So yeah, wash wash the balls, clean the balls, deflate them, inflate them. Um, you used to have to pop the actual goals on the back of the the van, strap them in. Um, go down, set up the goals, screw them, peg them, peg the nets, put the nets on, um, wash the boots, come back, clean the stadium, you know, put the sheets on the ground in the, in the winter. But all these things, you know, I look back at the memories I've made and the times I had during those two years at Kilmarnock, not just that, but on the pitch as well. And I think back in those days as well, you know, you'd play an under-19s game on a Saturday. I would also play a reserve game on a Monday night. If you played a Rangers or a Celtic, you were playing at Rugby Park on a Monday night under the lights in front of mm-hmm. two, 3,000 fans. You'd be playing in front of players for Rangers that didn't play at the weekend, first-team players. You know, it's, it's, it's something which I'm passionate about is bringing that type of idea back. I think the gap between development teams and the first team is far too big. And I think that is another reason why the likes of your Kilmarnock may be struggling now. There is, it's very more, it's a lot more difficult to judge a player playing in a development league. You know, is he ready to play in the first team? Uh, whereas I think if you're playing against two, three, four first team players every week from your mother was from your rain, who haven't played at the weekend, and it's in a decent pitch, in a decent setting, and these first team players want to play in that environment, and there's fans there, I think it's, it gives you the opportunity to showcase what you can do. And when I was at Kilmarnock, I had that as well. And, you know, Alan Robertson, who was a coach at the time, um, was great. Mark Wilson, my under-17s coach, I moved in with his mum and dad for two years in digs. I was well looked after there. Uh, I really was. It's a great club. And the the two years I had there was were, were great. I absolutely loved them, I must say. How did you find um, Jim Jeffries? Because obviously character, but what was he like with the, the younger players? Did you get much interaction with him? Um, yes and no. Um, I was doing well at the time, so I had a couple of interactions on the bench uh, a few times as well. Um, so it was good. Um, he was he's very old school, or he was at that time, but it was probably fitting to that era as well, to be fair. A lot of managers were the same. Um, he wouldn't have much interaction with the under-19s. It was only really when you stepped up to that kind of reserve level where he would interact with you. You were considered part of the first-team squad. Mm-hmm. I think on... For example, on reserve matches on a Monday, you know, if, if the first team boys were playing and it was there was a few development boys playing as well, or under 19s as it was then, he wouldn't really criticise the younger boys, but he gave the first team boys it tight if they weren't performing. So he was harsh but fair, is what I would say. Um, 
very old school, lovely guy actually. I mean, I'll bump into him the odd time now or, you know, throughout my career. And he always stops to say hello. Um, uh, you know, you know, addresses me by name and stuff, and seems to do that with everyone who, you know, from my era who who he worked with, which is which is a really nice touch. I think he was a, a lovely guy, and uh, same same with Billy Brown as well. Yeah, I think it says a lot, doesn't it, when you know players are remembered five, ten years down the line by the people that managed them when they were sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Um, I think it kind of solidifies the belief that you you had the right upbringing in football because you had the right people looking after you. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, the circumstances I left Kamalikan, I had a meeting. I was a young boy, so, you know, it was all new to me. And I sat down with my agent and Jim Jeffries before I moved on. And he obviously wanted to keep me at that time. Um, it made all the newspapers and the headlines. I think I was one of the first, if not the first, to move under the compensation rule mm-hmm. um, at that age. So he wasn't particularly happy with that, given he obviously had a young player on his hands who had a bright future potentially. So, you know, when I was at Dumbarton, even, I hadn't seen him for years and years and years. Uh, we played a game against Edinburgh City. Um, sorry, at Edinburgh City, it was against Spartans, and it was like a it was one of the Betfred Cup games. And for whatever reason, I don't know if he was there in a working capacity, but he was beside the pitch. And Rory, how you doing? Shook my hand, chatting away to me, talking away to me, and you know, just like I said, um, just just a nice guy. When it comes to the the move that you did have, how old were you when you moved? You were really young, weren't you? When I moved from Kamalik to Rangers, I was eighteen. Eighteen, yeah, that's right. And I think the fee. Officially, it was 20k, give or take. But as you said, it was decided by tribunal, I think. Yes, I, I don't know the figure. I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not gonna lie. I, I don't know what it was. I didn't, <laughs> didn't, I didn't take any part in the, the yep. that, that side of things. 2025 is, is what I remember that, uh, around that kind of ballpark. So, yeah, it was around that, I think. When it comes to like a move to a club as, as big as Rangers, and obviously no disrespect to Killian in the slightest, but you're talking potentially one of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, as has proven, you know, over the past couple of years, the same with, with both sides of the old firm, whether people like that or not. But um, going there as an 18-year-old, being part of like a tribunal, something which was new at the time, like how did it feel when it originally first got mooted that, you know, Rangers were chasing you? Well... I'd actually went down at the end of my contract with Kamalik. I'd went down and had a trial with Bolton and done really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I know there was a lot of people at that game. Um, that was like a trial match that they had for, for a lot of uh, you know boys up uh, up north and down south and stuff like that. And I knew there'd be a lot of people at that game. And I also knew that Ian Durant liked me. And Ian Durant had went from Kamalik, coached me, and then went to Rangers the year after. So I had a sneaky suspicion that there was a couple of things that may have... You know, I didn't know if it would be Rangers specifically. Um, when I was at Govan as a boys club, actually, I had interest from Celtic, but I ended up not going because I'd signed for Govan. Just the way it worked at that time. But when Angel Amp left, I kind of had a feeling in the back of my head that if, if Kamalik let my contract run down, because to be honest, if they'd approached me and went, well, here's a two-year deal, you're going to be part of the first team, I probably would have signed it at that stage. But that's not how it worked. Um, you know, it's still the same to this day, really, but players would find out you know, sometimes a couple of weeks after the season had finished, whether they were getting a new contract or not. Um, so Kamal left it that late. So when Rangers approached me, it was always going to be difficult. I probably would have probed more and asked more questions. I was a bit naive is what I would say because I was so young. Um, and it's probably... It's probably the one time in my career that I would look back and go, "What if I'd stayed at Kamalik? What if I'd, what if I'd had a hundred appearances for Kamalik before then, you know, going into Rangers? Partly a, 
an unbelievably talented squad when Walter Smith came in, especially so so big, condensed with so much talent as well. So it, I always look back and go, well, if I'd stayed at Kamalik, you know, it's the type of club, it's the type of team, a couple of injuries you're well thought, thought of, you go in for a game, you do well. Before you know it, you've racked up 50, 100 appearances and you've got clubs looking at you as a first team player as opposed to going as a youth player. And I think that going as a youth player to Rangers, it was, really, it was always going to be difficult. Almost like because you start getting more and more involvement with Kilmarnock and we're verging on that first full first team breakthrough in regular football, that like going to Rangers, although it was a step forward inside the club, did it feel like a step back in progression almost because you weren't getting exposure to first team football? Uh, I mean, like I said, I was a little bit naive. Rangers, Rangers had promised me a fast track route to the first team. They'd obviously have to perform as well, but this is this is given mm-hmm. that, I'm, that I'm producing what they would expect of me. Um, you know, fast track to the first team, be training with the first team on a regular basis. If I'm doing well, I'll be given opportunities. If you're if you're good enough, if you're young enough, you're good enough, you're young enough, old enough, sorry. So like that that kind of philosophy under right, well, if you're performing, you'll get a fair crack of the whip. That that type of thing. And a lot of that chat was part of me going there because I wanted to make sure that I wanted to keep progressing. But I quickly realised that they promised every other player in that under 19 direction the same thing. I mean, there's periods I look at in my time at Rangers in the reserve team where I just couldn't have scored any more goals. I was scoring goals consistently every week. I mean, I must have scored, I must have averaged one a game throughout two, three seasons in a row. You know, and I get two um, two appearances out of it, which I know I went on loan and things like that. But I I look back at my time at Rangers and I loved it, and it's a great. Obviously, it's it's a huge club, and some of the experiences I had working with the first team and going on European trips and, you know, tournaments and here, there and everywhere all around the world, you know, these, these are things which are great, but I feel like to get to 23 and have had made two appearances for the first team, you know, a, a relatively successful loan spell at Dunfermline where I played a lot of minutes, albeit out, out wide for a lot of it, a terrible waste of time of a loan spell at St Mern the first time round. I was at 20, uh, you know, I went from a, a young prospect at Kamalik who has the opportunity to, to build up appearances to being 23 or 22 just about to be 23 a disastrous loan spell uh okay loan spell and two appearances for Rangers and I just felt I just feel at this point looking back if I could change one thing just to see not that I regret my time at Rangers because I loved it but just to see how my career would have turned out, that's probably the moment in time I would go back to and go, let's stay at Kamalik and let's see how it goes. There's a question here I sort of wrote down, um, and based on what you just told me, maybe maybe you'll be able to answer this for me in, in a, a different way. But I was going to say, when it comes to loan moves that you get, when you get that loan move when you're like 20, 21, you'll hear a lot of people say, you know, it kind of made them. Uh, I think I spoke to to Dick Gallagher and, and he went to Stranraer, I think it was actually on loan. Um, after he'd had time in the academy at Celtic and he sort of praised how important that was to his progression. But obviously you had a spell at Dunfermline, which went okay. St Marin, as you said, didn't really do much for you. Do you almost like look back on those loon moves and say if those two years had been with Kilmarnock, you might have played more, you might have had more experience? Well, that, that, that's exactly it. I mean, I look at my time at Dunfermline. Okay, I went to Dunfermline, I played... I think I must have had, I don't know, about anywhere between 15 and 20 appearances, I would guess, in six yeah. months. Uh, a good level, championship level, and one of the better teams in the division. Um, but I played a lot of the time out in the left or out in the right, or, you know, I didn't play many games through the middle. 
and I was a young boy. My form was up and down. So I, I finished that loan spell going, you know, that could have went better, but it certainly could have went a lot worse. I've got good experience with a good standard of player in the division below, and I feel I'm going back to Rangers in a better place. Then another spell of doing well in the first team and the St Mern thing was just a waste of time. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think I don't think I started a game. I mean, how how am I meant to showcase any form of what I can do if if I'm not going to start a game? I mean, it was just, and I didn't have the experience or the know-how to, you know, a month later go and say, listen, I'm just leaving because there was a rule in the place at the time where you had to have done uh, so many under 21 as part of your matchday squad. Mm -hmm. So there was first team boys being left out and I was basically brought in to meet that rule because I'm better having on the bench than a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old. So there was probably a bit of resentment in the squad that that rule was in place. There was first team players, experienced players who were either starting or not even on the bench. Um, and then there's the likes of myself who's on the bench every week who, I mean, I must have got about, what, five appearances or something? And I was getting about 10 minutes, five minutes, something like that. So, you know, I look back on that and I go, it was a deal which suited St Mum. It was a deal which suited their manager at the time. They were in a rele relegation scrap and I never played. And that set me back the most. Um, Dunfermline, I had enough opportunities and I had the platform to go and impress. And I did okay. That's down to me. At the end of the day, I did okay. So I came back going, right, that's fine. I need to take from it what I can. I didn't pull up threes. I'm not going back to Rangers going, right, this is my chance to shine. I would need to go back to Rangers and prove that I've, I've learned from the experience. Whereas with the St Martin one, I feel like it was taken out of my hands. Like, he, he, Graham Carey was taken at the time as well. And he'd sat on the bench with me for, I don't know, a number of games. But then one game at Ibrox, obviously I couldn't play. I was on loan from Rangers. There was an injury in the warm-up and an injury to somebody else the day before in training. You know, Graham gets his opportunity to go into the team. He scores a free kick and never looks back. He plays, you know, most of the games between then and the end of the season. But I never I was never given that platform for even one game. And then the longer it goes on, as a young boy, your confidence just isn't there. And the, the manager loses faith in you and things, whereas the environment environment at Kamalnik, I was trusted, I was well-liked. Um, they'd seen my progression. They knew what I was capable of. They probably would have protected me and looked after me in terms of my appearances and my minutes. And... It's St Mum, like I said, and I, and I understand it. Gus McPherson was under pressure. They were in a relegation scrap and he wanted to put in players he could trust. But, okay, as, as time went on, my training performances could, maybe could have been better. But I still believe if you go and loan to a club for six months, for no, not to start somebody for a, even one game, I think you need four or five games to, 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 to make a judgment on somebody. So the Dunfermline one, I look it back on and go, I enjoyed my time there and it was great. Could I have done more? Yes. I look at it something on the morning and go, well, how am I meant to do anything with, without starting a game? I, I just don't think it was fair on me. And that was kind of echoed by Ali McCoy during a conversation I had with him. I think he knew what went on. So you know, I, knew, I remember Walter Smith coming to a game and I knew he was there. It was against Dundee United at home. You know, I sat on the bench for 90 minutes. What, how, how am I meant to make so, any form of impact from the bench? Almost at that age as well. I mean, you see it time and time again that, like, for example... I think we've got a uh, young Jake Wogan's on loan at Sunderland at the moment. And you can see that there's something there and, and he's going to do well later on in his career, but he's he's not played that many games. Uh, and when he has played, you do get that kind of fluctuation in form. Sometimes he's actually really quite good. Sometimes he's, he's really poor and it's because of his age and experience. And it's probably going to take him a loan move to play 20, 30, 40 games in a season before he can iron out a more consistent level of performance when you're coming on 
seven, eight games for five, ten minutes here. You, you can't get rid of that. You can't even have a chance to be inconsistent, really. So that must be quite frustrating then. I know, absolutely. And I had a couple of conversations with Gus McPherson, but look, I basically got lip service, you know, yeah, you get a chance, you get an opportunity and, and things like that. And I think at that time, I came away from those conversations thinking, oh, well, that's good then. Quite naive again. Um, you know, as an experienced pro later on in my career, I would be chapping the door going, well, another two weeks has passed and you've still not played. Um, and my confidence and my form, like I said, even in training, as the weeks went on, it just became worse and worse because I I, I just wasn't playing. I was playing in reserve games. First. I, I, I went from scoring goals every single week in competitive Rangers teams to, you know, playing bounce games for St Mern and And it wasn't even, see if that's deserved. See if you've played four or five games and you don't perform, then... I, you've got to swallow that and you've got to look at yourself, but that, that was just a complete waste of time for everybody. And I don't really understand to this day what the point of it was, um, other than filling a bench, space on the bench. I, I just don't... It just was a complete waste of time, like I said, for St Mern, for myself, for... It, it just... it just There was no point in it whatsoever. Yeah, it, it seems so, especially at that age and substitute appearances here and there, but... Um, I, could be wrong with this, um, but I'm sure it would have been Paul Le Guin that brought you in originally and he was gone pretty fast. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a Paul Le Guin signing per se. I came in when Paul Le Guin was the manager. Yes. He joined that summer, but it was Ian Duran. I, I, was a sign, I was a signing on the other side of the building. I wasn't signed as a, a to go straight into the first team or as a first team player. Yeah. I was signed. Um, I, I, I do believe Ian Durant was the biggest influence in taking me to the club. And I, but I was signed to play in the, the reserve of the youth team, that, that type of idea to see how I got on there. So, yes, Paul Le Guin was there and left pretty quickly, but I don't think him leaving or staying would have had any any bearing on any more appearances or thing. He didn't handpick me from command or anything like that. So I would assume then it would have been Walter Smith and Ali McCoist, obviously his assistant, that really would have been the people that would have been close to you when you were getting the first thing. I think you made your debut 2008 against Inverness, is that right? 2008 or 2009. Um, but yeah, we went to... Alan McCoy was brilliant because he was similar to me in that you know, he, he loved putting the ball in the back of the net. He might not be the most influential player throughout the 90 minutes at that stage of my career, but I could score a goal and he loved that. I don't really think... I mean, I'm saying this. I, I don't know this for sure, but I just got vibes that I probably wasn't Walter Smith's type of player. I, I wasn't particularly brave. I wasn't particularly strong. I wasn't particularly good in the air. But you give me a chance, I'll, I'll score. Um, that, that was kind of how I played. Um, it, it, it I scored enough goals to get that one appearance. And I went on and, you know, I, I don't know what it was, 30, 35 minutes. And really, at that point in time, the way I played, if I could score a goal, that's going to change everything. Because see that, see that time... You didn't get players breaking through. Walter Smith brought in an absolute army of players. It was so, so successful. So see around that time, especially in November time, obviously when it's mid-season and stuff, you don't get, you don't see many young players coming through. So to come on um, at that moment in time was quite a big deal. But I didn't, I didn't impact the game. We were five nil up and, you know, you've got Bouguera, you've got Bouguera and guys like this, you know, running down the wing doing stepovers and I'm desperate to try and score a goal. So, I I did okay again. I did okay, but not enough to really go right. He's going to be able to come in and um, change the game. But thinking about that, you know, to work to have worked for eight years old to have thirty five minutes, it all boiled, boiled down to that thirty five minutes. And I do believe if I'd scored a goal, it would have raised some eyebrows. 
even if it was a tap-in, or didn't matter how I got it, but I never managed to do it, unfortunately. Um, I went on loan to Dunfermline soon after it. With the, uh, the time that you came on, I remember who it was, but do you remember who you came on for? Um, it was a double substitution, so it would have been Kenny Miller or Kevin Thompson. I think that was a double sub at the time. Me and Barry Ferguson come on. Offic- officially Kenny Miller. Um, Kenny I, thought, I thought you might remember, but um, as much as it was probably frustrating, like waiting to, because you, you wanted to play more often, and as you said, obviously that was before you moved to Dunfermline and, and St. Mirren, that game against Inverness, and you came on at 5-0 up, so I imagine... Ibrox was pretty joyous that day, and it was, if I remember correctly. But what was it like for you after you know playing in front of two, three thousand people and stuff like that? But you're talking a different beast with a full Ibrox. What was that like coming on to a full Ibrox and hearing like the roar of the crowd and basically playing in front of one of the biggest, most passionate crowds that the world over? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big step and it's, it is quite intimidating, I suppose. Uh, I'd been on the bench a number of times, so I'd experienced that type of atmosphere before, but obviously never on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Remember, Boydie scored a goal. It was disallowed. It finished 5-0 the game, but he scored and obviously the, the immediate roar goes up before they realised the flag's up. But, you know, it's, you know, I'll never forget it. Even though I've obviously been part of games on the opposing side in front of 50,000 there and 60,000 at Parkhead, you get used to it, I suppose, as you get older, but that first time will never leave me where he scored and just the noise around you um, kind of goes up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, the, once you cross that white line, the, the crowd does, especially I was so focused at that moment in time and trying to do well, that it, it does kind of just fade into the background because you're concentrating that much and doing well. And like I said, the way I played, if I could have nicked a goal, it would have been great. Never managed to do it, and I would have. I think I had to wait another year and a half to get another appearance for for Rangers because of the loan moves and stuff. Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, Rangers had tons of good old-fashioned pros, good young players. I think it would have been Boydie would have been, as you said before, the main man coming through then. But who were the the Rangers first team players where you know, as a younger player, you could rely on for advice or? I feel like you could approach if you had something to ask or you wanted to gain something from them. Um, so there's a few. Um, Lee McCulloch was one which I think all, all the young boys have got different people they would go to or speak to and they felt comfortable around because that's just that's how people work. You gravitate naturally towards certain people and that's that's just the way of life as opposed to you know first team players or, or youth team players. But um, Lee McCulloch was one which I felt comfortable around. Um, I, w- I would speak to him relatively often and, and chat to him. So he was great. Uh, Kevin Thompson was another one who I, I then went to move on and played with at Dundee. He was, you know, he was one that would would talk to you, interact with you, and chat to you and stuff like that. Um, but you know, learning-wise, it was more watching them as opposed to talking to them. I would say. I mean, watching Kenny Miller at that point for me, he his finishing was, you know, not always um, the best in the world. But his actual play, especially in training, you, you talk about your Pedro Mendes, Stephen Davis. Um, Barry Ferguson's, um, Velicka's, all, all the not Velicka, Jelovic, all these types of players, world class, just about. Um, and Kenny Miller was just as good as any one of them in training. I think he's one of the most underrated players. I know he's had a great career, and I know that he will be looked upon as you know a great because he scored so many goals. But he was for a long time he was known as a, a workhorse, especially with that loan role for Scotland. But I would mm-hmm. watch him in training. I would watch him in training all the time. And the way I played when I moved on later in my career was. Oh, at Falkirk, you know, link-up play, a, a lot of the way, a lot of things I learned, a lot of things I picked up from during the times I had success came from watching Kenny Miller. I thought he was different class. His touches, his movement, his 
his intel game intelligence was second to none. It was it was incredible. So in terms of talking, you know, Lee McCulloch and Kevin Thompson were ones that you could that I would speak to, and Stephen Davis, a quiet quiet man, but uh, again, just by watching them and things, especially in possession boxes, how to keep the ball and uh, and things. So aye, there was plenty. Um, but you know, people look at these guys as Rangers first team players, but they're just and there is that little bit of intimidation. But they're just normal people at the end of the day, and, and they're all nice people who, who want to help you. So um, it wasn't an environment where you weren't supported, or people wouldn't want to speak to you, or you were looked at as a as a young boy. So it was I the demand from you and they expect from you. But if you're training with them and they'll they'll treat you like one of the the rest of them, and they'll will have a go at you if you're not performing well enough. But generally speaking, they're just human beings, so they're, they're happy to help or happy to talk you through advice wise. But I think just watching them and training and playing with them and training. You, you learn probably more than you realise. Looking at like you've touched on them already, um, Ali McCoy's been there as well. Obviously, Ali McCoy really didn't do much for Sunderland um, at all. Obviously, it was just before my sort of time of watching football, if I'm honest. But you know, looking back and, and you hear the stories from your dad and your granddad that Ali McCoy was not the Ali McCoy we got to know at Sunderland as he was young, and things didn't really work out for him. He went to Rangers, and obviously, the rest is history. Having someone that prolific that had had difficulties at a young age and stuff like that, how good was Ali McCoy to rely on for advice? Um, I mean, my my interactions with Ali McCoy and, and Walter Smith were minimal. Um, mm-hmm. I did speak to Ali McCoy a couple of times towards the end of my time just to try and get an opportunity before I left. I didn't want to leave without having had an opportunity. So. I wanted to leave going, well, at least I know I'm not good enough by having a couple of games as opposed to, we were playing St. Mullen at home and Inverness at home back-to-back. I think it was a Sunday-Tuesday in my age. And at that point in time, Kalil were interested and they basically offered me a contract. And my agent said to me, look, go and speak to him and just say, throw me in. He says, what have you got to lose? If he says no, then you go and you sign for, for Kalil. But if, he's, if, if on the back of you speaking to him, he reacts well to that and throws you on for 20, 25 minutes the next couple of games, then been great and then at least you can either leave knowing right I didn't do enough or if it does go well then it could change your life um, so I approached Alan McCoyst and asked the question he said he would speak to the manager and get back to me which he did to be fair to him but uh, I was never going to get the opportunity that I was looking for was kind of the message I received back so ended up moving on but I mean he's another one uh, I'll never forget in training one day Alan McGregor's in goals and we're doing a shooting drill and he sets it up so basically it's a bit cutting inside the pitch and you know kind of slewing it in the far corner beyond the keeper. So we've done it a few times in Kenny Miller, myself, whoever whoever else was doing the finishing drill was like that's far too wide. You know you're never going to beat Alan McGregor for there. Like you're not going to be able to generate enough power and enough force because it's too far out and it's too wide. Ali McCoy's picked up a ball. He how it worked was you would play it up to the the guy who'd shot previously. He would stop it dead, and you would run up and you would attempt to, to score. He took a ball, he played it up. I don't know who it was. It stopped it, and he just whipped it right in the stanchion. <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable. It honestly was. And he would join in in training at times. Um, and his finishing, you could see, was was second to none. So I I can't say advice wise that Walter Smith and and Ali McCoy were guys I could go to. I didn't. He, they probably would have helped if I had. Maybe it's that aura around them where you're a little bit apprehensive to do it. But my interactions with, the, you know, Alan McCoy and Will Smith were, were minimal. We wouldn't speak on a daily basis about my progression or anything like that, which I suppose, again, in the environment I'm in at the moment, in Sky, 
opportunities are not going to get handed to you and you learn that as you get older and you kind of you lose that fear of right if i want if i want this i need to go and get it and that was probably my character at the time where i probably had to have more about me to go and to go and get that i was happy just to accept what i was told in terms of whether it be the loan spell at st Mun, whether it be you know signing for range all these things where maybe it didn't feel quite right in my head i didn't have enough about me and some players you know are totally different at 1920 they've got enough about them to go and say no that's not happening or i don't want this or i don't want that i didn't have that that came later in my career um so it's not me saying they weren't approachable or anything like that but i certainly didn't interact with them much and you're touching that before obviously your next club that you went on to was was carlisle now carlisle's obviously a club that isn't a million miles away from where you were, you were brought up or at least where you were born in, in dumfries I think it would be fair to say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think you struggled a little bit when you first went there. Obviously, that changed, but how was it moving to England and, shall we say, not hitting the ground running immediately? Well, I suppose at that point in time, that is um, a big move. Uh, going down there, I went on trial for a week and Rangers were trying to get me to go to the Cowden Beef, but I didn't want to go there. That was probably the first time I was in and around being able to maybe stand up for myself a little bit better. Uh, I'd learned from a St. Martin experience and I, I kind of questioned the County Beast thing. I was like, well, I'm out of contract in three months. I go to County Beast, I score 10 goals, I bought me the championship. Does that mean I get an opportunity to play for Rangers? I'm going to be 23 then if you score a few goals for County Beast. I don't think it does. Um, I don't even think it's enough to get a new contract at Rangers. So I was looking at it going, I've been offered a two and a half year deal at Carlisle. Um, so I, I, I opted to do that. Um, despite the efforts of um, the head of youth at the time, Jimmy Sinclair, um, not my favourite guy in football. Um, didn't like working under him whatsoever. I know he's went down to Sunderland since. Um, I wasn't a fan of his at, at all, I must say. Uh, yeah. He worked the way, the way he was, how, how he works with people. Um, it wasn't in my cup of tea. Um, and it was quite nice to be able to go in and tell him, who told me all week that Carlyle was a stone's throw from Glasgow. And if they were really that interested, then they would have been up watching me more. Um, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, they've just offered me a two and a half year deal, so that was quite nice to say that to him and drive down the road. <laughs> and drive down the road. Um, so that's and that was because they he wanted me to go to Cowden Beef because uh, I think Jimmy Nicholl was there at the time and he needed players in. I think he was friendly with the manager, so they were trying to get me to go there, and I was like, no, I'm not, not doing that. Oh, I've been in that movie before, and I'm, I don't want to play it again. Um, so ended up going down to Kaleo. And the manager told me, to be fair, the manager said, listen, I've got quite a settled squad. Um, you'll, you'll dip in and out. You're not going to start regularly um, this season. It'll be next season where you're going to come to the, the, the forefront of my thoughts for selection on a weekly basis. And to be fair, I did. I think I started eight games or something like that. Um, and it took a bit of time to adapt uh, to, to the environment. Uh, it's totally different going from playing reserve football or sitting on the bench for a month to, you know, my first couple of games, I started down at Southampton when you've got you know, a full St Mary's because they were doing so well at the time. Um, we were playing in the second leg of the Johnson's Paint uh, away at Huddersfield. Big stadium again, a lot of fans. Playing against real men. One thing I noticed about England, especially at League One level, for me, it's a lot more physical. It's a lot more demanding. I don't think the quality of football is any better than, I'm going to say, the top half of the Championship in Scotland. I think ability-wise, in Scotland, we are underestimated. Um, when you get to the Championship in England and Premier League, that's, that's a different ball game. But certainly at League One level, I found that my ability was as good, if not better than most. But I felt like I still felt like a boy. They were men. 
um, and that took me time to get used to. So I think, but to be fair to the manager, I played eight games. He said I would do that, and we sat down and he said, "Look, because I went down on you know good wages in terms of you know you know everyday life, but in terms of what the other boys were on the squad, you know they were in, they were in League One, they were doing well in League One. You probably got boys there on." eighteen hundred to two thousand pound a week at that point. So I wasn't on those I wasn't on those wages. So it was a case of him sitting down and saying, right, next season if you can start twenty five games for me, we'll sit down. There's nothing set in stone. But if you can start twenty five games for me next season, we'll sit down and we'll talk about, you know, getting you signed up on uh, effectively a first team contract. And um, so it worked it suited me perfectly. And yeah, so the first the first half of the season, or the second half of the season I joined, so I joined in the January, I was in and out of the team, as you said I would be, and it was probably good for me, to be fair. Um, I wasn't pulling up trees, but I was finding my feet, and it was a good opportunity to do that, and then come back again after working hard during the summer. Looking at the squad, I was kind of looking through who was there um, around that time, so the first couple of seasons. Um, obviously, eventually, you did find your feet. I think you got your first goal, uh, which was, I think it was the Johnson's playing semi, I could be wrong with that, but looking through the, the squad, there were some really good players that are still like within the game. I mean, I've just listed a couple off here, but Graham Kavner, obviously a fantastic player. Paul Thurwell, yep. someone I, I grew up watching at Sunderland, who at that level, really good. Mark Beck, Mark Gillespie, obviously has gone and done really well. Paddy Madden, who although he's just dropped to the National League, has been scoring goals for fun for years in League One. Um, how good was that call outside? That was brilliant. Um, but... As with many clubs like Carlisle, a lot of the players you mentioned are right at the start of their career or right at the end of their career. So yeah. on the one hand, l- l- let's take Paddy Madden, who comes over from Ireland as a young boy. You know, he's not going to necessarily hit the ground running. He's maybe going to be 25, 26 before he's scoring 20, 25 goals a season. You get Paul Thurwell at the other end of the scale, who is, you know, a model of consistency, plays every week. He's the club captain. Um probably you had to play, play slower than he, he was at the peak of his career. So yes, you had the makings of a lot of good players, but none of us were probably at that point where we were 28, 29 at the, the height of our careers. But the success we had, we lifted the Johnson's team. My first goal came down at Charlton in the league. Um, but the following season, we found a really good rhythm. I would play on the left. John Paul McGovern would play on the right and Lee Miller up top. Paddy Madden and another one who you didn't mention there, who's went on to probably have the best career and earn the most is Naki Wells. Um, yeah. He was there at the time. And I remember Greg Abbott speaking to the three of us and saying, listen, you three can go as far as you want. If you if you apply yourself correctly and if you work hard, uh, you've all got the ability to go on and do really well. Now, me personally, I was the only one that would, was playing every week at that point. Um, so I was enjoying it. I was playing on the left-hand side, but it was different from Dunfermline. I was a wee bit older. I'd learned the position bit more. I was quick at that point in time. I was scoring goals. I was... Just having a, a really good season. Um, I was being linked with championship clubs. I was, yeah, I was just, just probably for the first time in my career, I was looked upon as a really important member of a squad who they wanted to protect, who was guaranteed to play every week. And I loved it. It was a great feeling. Um, Paddy Madden was one who ended up going to Yeovil and loan um, and caught fire. It just didn't work for him at Carlisle, the manager and him. I don't want to say they didn't see eye to eye. Greg Abbott was brilliant. Really, really good. He was a... a People person, um, everyone liked him. A really nice man, and but he just didn't fancy Paddy. Paddy's not the brightest star in the sky, and I think the, ma- the manager lacked trust in him. And then when he went down to Yeovil, 
the manager told me in and says, look, I know you're close with Paddy. I just want to put him out on loan. He was meant to go to Stockport. I know he's just signed for Stockport. He was meant to go to Stockport. And I remember sitting in the room with him at the time. And he was like, I don't want to go there. They're bottom of the league. I'm, I'm not quite sure it doesn't feel right. And then a phone call was made from Yeovil to Andy Welsh, who was at Carly at the time, ex-Sunderland as well, funnily enough. Yeah, and, yeah, no, yeah. yeah, and Welsh, yeah. And Welsh had said that Yeovil had lost six in a row or seven in a row, something ridiculous. And they'd said to Welsh, look, do you know of anyone who can play on the shoulder, who can run in behind? And he went, do you know what? Why don't you just take a wee gamble on Paddy? Paddy went down, scored, I think, five or six goals in his loan spell. Ended up top scorer in the league, scored the winner in the playoff final, um, got them promoted, and then has never looked back since. Um, Naki was another one who did really, really well at Bradford. I think looking at that at that point in time, that probably would have been better for Carly if it would have been a loan deal. But I don't think they had, I don't think they had much belief. Naki was so raw, unbelievably raw, but would show moments where you were like, that is unbelievable quality, whether it be an overhead kick, whether it be a you know, dribbling past two players and slotting in the top corner. He just showed moments of brilliance. And I think that it was a dangerous game letting him go on a permanent. And obviously, he's never looked back as well. So there was a squad of players there who had a lot of potential. And yeah, out of the three of us, obviously, it was disappointing for me the way it worked out. Like I touched on, I was having a really good year. And I say it was agreed when I signed um, that after 25 games, we would sit down and talk about a contract and this and that and the other. 25th start of the season came Preston, Boxing Day, away, 20,000, nine minutes in, broke my leg in three places and was out for 13 months. So and that was that David was, Gray, wasn't it? Was that obviously that was David legend, yeah. Uh, but that, that, was the, that, that was the appearance which would have triggered the talks. And uh, basically after three days, four days in hospital, I was told, look, as a club, we cannot afford to offer you what we would be offering you at this point. Um, because we just can't afford it. And I appreciated the honesty at the time. I understood that. They offered me a year's extension on the same money. I still had a year left, but I was like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't want to sign that. I'd rather just work hard to get back. I had so many setbacks from injury. It was so frustrating. Um, so I'd went from, you know, if that injury had happened two weeks later, I'd have been sitting on the contract, which we were talking about, probably a, a couple of years extension, happy days, but it happened on my 25th appearance, eh, my 25th start of that season. You could not have wrote it. Um, yeah, so, and that really stopped me in my tracks. It was the first six months of my career where I was up and running, I was flying, I was doing well. People were talking about me and I, and it was just cut down like like that. It was like two months you couldn't walk without crutches as well. It was a seriously bad leg break, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was it was the one you've, you've seen the telly with, you know, your Henrik Larson happened to him up here, Edward down at Arsenal. One of those ones where it just snaps and it, it just goes. It was it was in pieces. Um, I was very, very lucky, actually, that it wasn't, the bone didn't come out the skin. Um, so I know it was it was a nasty one. Um, and I, for, for weeks, I could only put 25% of my weight through it and then 75%. And psychologically, that was hard um, because I'd done so well and I was so happy with my choice. And see, when I left Rangers, three months later, eight people turned up to pre-season. They got relegated to the third division three months after I left without knowing that that was going to happen. So I was looking at that going, at that time going, geez, oh, like I, I would be playing every week for Rangers next season because yes. they're in the third division. But I was still happy with my choice because I was doing so well and you know going to big stadiums and performing well, whether that's your Charlton's at that time or Sheffield United, whoever it may be, I was going and I was making an impact in these games and loving it. Um, and yeah, 
for it to end that way was quite cruel, I would say. Yeah, and I mean, I probably asked a few questions about the the feelings that you get when you have an injury like that, because there's been a few lads I've had on that have, have had similar injuries, a few girls I've had on that have had similar injuries as well. Um, but I suppose one thing I've, I've never looked at, I'm really lucky, touch wood, that I've never broke a bone in my body, so I don't really understand the pain that goes with it. When you have a leg break that bad, like, forget the emotion of it, but how seriously bad is the pain of a leg break that bad? I'm going to be totally honest with you. I've heard, I know Jibril CC did it twice, and I've heard that mm-hmm. the first time, because your body's not used to it, it just shuts down, it goes into shock. So what actually happened was at the time, if you imagine my leg lying straight, it would literally go to about halfway down my shin, and then you could see it just, because it wasn't connected anymore, it, the rest was just like a twisted round. And I remember they gave me gas in the air, but the first one wasn't working. Um, and they were cutting through my boot to try and cut through my sock and get it off. And they were doing all this. And as a player who had finally found his feet and felt comfortable, the pain, I remember the pain, but the pain in my head was worse knowing that it was going to be a year at least before I got back in a football pitch and probably another six months after that to recuperate any sort of form. So that was the hardest part. Physical pain, yes, but physical pain, in my head at the time, I was like, they'll do what they need to do and that'll get better. It wasn't so painful, I think, because my body went in shock, but apparently if you then do it again, because you've had that pain before, it's a hell of a lot worse because your body doesn't release the um, chemicals that it needs to put your body into shock and and apparently it's a lot worse. But I, I think I just lay there. I just remember lying there. And I could hear the Carlyle fans singing my name. Um, there was 4,500 travelled through that day. And I was right at the side of the pitch. And some pressing fans were just giving me pelters, dig a hole and singing the songs and all the rest of it, which comes with, obviously, banter at football, whatever else. I think we stopped once they realised the severity of it. But the hardest part for me was lying there, knowing the manager was down by my side, Cav was down by my side, I just remember knowing this is this is going to be a long road. Probably might might be a daft question. This I don't know. Um, but what's harder having that injury, knowing you've got the sort of year to get back, or all those niggling injuries that you get after your back that keeps setting you back? Which unfortunately, um, much like for example, Duncan Watmore used to got getting quite a lot last year for Sunderland. Um, you had that as well. What what's more frustrating, the original? big long setback or those little niggly setbacks that just keep knocking you back when you return? The lowest I probably felt was, so I did that in the Boxing Day in 2011. Now, I just, it was taking so long to get better and it it got to the the following pre-season and um, I was in a place where I thought, right, I can maybe do little bits with the squad here and there. I, I still couldn't... Probably in my head it was far too soon, but I remember trying to walk, trying to do a jog. That was probably the first time I tried to jog, which was like six, seven months later. And it was just... It was so painful. Um, and it just didn't feel right. And I went back to... Um, I went back to the hospital and, and seen the experts and things like that. And basically they were told, look, you need to come off that and you need to stop for at least 12 weeks. And to not be able to do anything, you know, I'd spent six months going in that gym on a Friday morning was the worst, watching the boys get on the bus to travel to an away game. I would go into the gym by myself 
you'd be doing your exercises, you'd go for lunch, you'd come back, you'd do it again, then I would go swimming at night. And I did that for six months. So to get to the stage where I'm like, right, I can get back out on a pitch, even if it's just a jog, to be told, no, you need to rest it for another 12 weeks. That was the, that was the lowest point of it all. And it was the start of a new season as well. And it just, it just was a blow. Um, I ended up going back up to Rangers to see one of the physios there about it, Steve Walker. They've got facilities there as well. They've got the uh, anti-gravity treadmill, things where they can take like 70-80% of your body weight so you can just get back in the rhythm of running. But I walked in to see Steve, who is top-class physio, the best I've ever worked with. He watched me walk in the door and he said, Rory, you can't walk. He said, you're not walking properly. He says, you need to strip this all the way back and you need to teach yourself how to walk again without a limp, without you know protecting yourself, and you need to strip it right back to the basics. And literally for weeks, I worked with him on the most simple movements to build up my confidence. And just and that was my target in those 12 weeks, try and walk properly. Um, and we eventually got there and we built it up and built it up and built it up. And I got back playing. Um, I think my first appearance was New Year's Day 2013. So it would have been a year and a week after the injury occurred. So, I mean, geez, the, the amount of time being out of the game and everything that goes with it, does it ever feel like, probably a difficult question to ask, but does it ever feel like, you know, this is ever going to happen? Am I ever going to come back? Does it ever get to that point? I think what disappointed me the most was the, the, the level I was performing at and what that could potentially bring. You know, Carlisle in itself is, you know, so remote in terms of England because it's way up north. But, mm-hmm. you know, the interest I generated through good performances in the space of six months down in England was, was incredible. I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, magazines phoning you up and, you know, you're on a good run and doing different things, being, you know, read, picking up the paper and saying you're being linked to here and there and, all the different things and it called with playing down in England and playing at bigger stadiums and stuff. And it was so, so difficult to accept that I'd finally got to that stage and the length of time it was going to take to get back to that stage again was heartbreaking. Um, so when I made my, but the, the problem is as well, when I made my debut and so made my debut, came, made my comeback in the, the, the first of January, we played crew away and I did well actually, came on for 25 minutes or so. And, we had games Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday at that point. And the manager was playing me all the time because we were in a bit of a relegation scrap that season. Um, and the first four games, I scored three goals. My first four starts, I think I scored three goals after a, after the Swindon game. Um, so it must have been about mid-Feb. I'd scored down at Portsmouth. I'd scored at home at Stevenage. And I'd scored another goal as well. Um, and then having been out for that long, my performances over the next four games they, they dipped um, so that took us into March and Matty Robson goes back to injury comes back in the team which is fair enough and then the season just ran out um, and I was released because they felt that um, the club just wanted, needed to move in a different direction and they kind of had a bit of an overhaul which didn't work out well for them they ended up relegated the following season but just um, I, it, it was a really difficult time I must say I was on the cusp of that new contract. I was on the cusp of a really successful season, having played 40 games. And potentially, if I was to play the rest of the season, and given the form I was in, I don't see any reason why. I was keeping Francois Zoko out of the team at the time, and he was a cult hero, still is at Kaleo, and the fans loved him, and he was a game changer. So for him to be sitting on the bench so I could play was 
was big in itself. So, aye, it, it was, to turn the answer your question, once I got released for Palau, I, I did think, I, I don't know if this is going to work out for me, which in the space of a year to go, you know, to be talking about Ipswich signing you to, uh, in the championship, who were a force at the time, to to be sitting going, I'm now out of contract and I fell off the face of the earth football-wise because I've not played in so long. It was, it was, a, it was a tough one to take. You mentioned before there, but obviously when you were released from Carlisle and then you go on to to Falkirk, it's funny how things work out because Falkirk was probably one of the most successful times as a professional footballer, I think would be fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. I do believe that time when I came at Carlisle, uh, I, I do believe if I hadn't picked that, picked that injury up, I would have went from strength to strength there and my Falkirk um, form would have been... Um, would have been the same, but it would have been at Carlisle. So I, I do firmly believe if I hadn't picked that injury up, then th- that time, that, that was my time to, to grow into being a first-team footballer. But obviously we've, we've spoken about the injury. But when I went to Falkirk, I, um, I remember was in the my agent spoke to me at the start of the summer and said, look, you've been out for so long, you've only had a handful of appearances, you're going to fall off the face of the earth So in terms of football. So, you know, don't be waiting by the phone till August because you might need to go on trial somewhere. So I said, right, okay, that's fine. And that kind of gave me a wee bit of peace to go, right, let's just go and enjoy the summer. I can't control anything at this point. The season's done. Went away, enjoyed myself. Um, the season was just about to start back and I had my ball in my hand. I waited to go down the pitch with my mate, John Paul McGovern, who was at Palio as well at the time, to do some runs to kick the ball about to keep up our fitness. I get a phone call to say, listen, Falkirk, I've just sold Lyle Taylor to Sheffield United. Um, looking for a striker. Can you go up to four for tomorrow and play in the game? Went up, um, scored, and then we won a penalty. Grabs the ball, one of the midfielders comes up and says, no, I want to take it. I missed one in training a couple of weeks ago and the boys have been on at me and I want to I want to score it just to, you know, and I basically said, listen, I'm, I'm playing for a job here, mate. Um, this is this is my, my, my job, my livelihood on the line. I'm taking it. Um, so took it, scored, and yeah, signed for Falkirk and Kind of the rest of his history from 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 the from the two years I had at Falkirk. And you were obviously really well liked at Falkirk. I actually seen a, a, a game. I went through a period when I first moved up to Scotland that I'd go to like different grounds and stuff like that. And one of the grounds I went to was, was Hearts when they won the championship, and I think they'd won the week previously eight 0 So I thought, you know, I'll go along see. Heard a lot about Tynecastle would be a great atmosphere, and, and it really is. I've been since. Um, but obviously Falkirk won sort of three two that day, and I remember the scenes in the Falkirk end were chaotic if I'm completely honest which is probably unexpected me being a, an ignorant Englishman that that thinks that scenes can't happen like that in the Scottish Championship um, at the time but that seemed like a specific day that I imagine you remember quite well because you, you broke hearts as I think it was their, their like unbeaten run I think at the time I think it was the first defeat that had that season is that right? Uh, I think it was yeah they were obviously very strong that year the best, best team in the league, league by a distance um, and Rangers were in it that year, so that's that's obviously saying something. But I we went to um, went to Tynecastle, and on any given day we'd been scudded for now earlier in the season, and they scored after about ninety seconds that day, I think. So I think we we're all dreading the worst. But we had the makings of a side there who, on any given day, I believe could be any team in any division in the country. Um, on any given day, if if we performed, you know that was kind of proven. We we beat Hibs East, uh, Hamden as well that year. So the the side we had with Sybold, Will Vox, myself, John Baird, Mark Kerr, um, Jamie McDonald and goals as well, um, Stephen Kingsley, uh, I don't think he was in the second season, but Luke Leahy is now 
Bristol. We, we had the makings of, if we turned up on the day and everyone performed, there's no reason why we can't go to Tencastle and win. And we firmly believed that. one one nil down and having the, 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 I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the, the mental strength, having been beat there 4-0 early in the season, to concede a goal after 90 seconds to come back and win the game 3-2. Um, I, I scored a bit of a worldie that day and then Sib scored a bit of a worldie as well. So it was a great day all round. And um, I probably showed what, we, what we're capable of. And I think the fans love going to Tencastle as well because it's that enclosed, close stadium. I went there with Dundee in the league as well when I scored. And I just remember the fans just seemed to go, that little bit more mental when you score at Ten Castle. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a really impressive ground for as technically as small as it is in comparison to maybe the Ibrox and Celtic. I think the atmosphere is tremendous now, isn't there? When originally on the day where they lost the game, you know what I mean. But the atmosphere was great the whole way through. It felt like you were like on top of the players, which is there's not a lot of grounds like that. And I think personally, Tyne Castle, outside of Ibrox, because I'm very biased, um, is probably the the best ground that I've probably been to in Scotland if I'm completely honest and I think it's because of the reasons I've I've stipulated there but a specific memory of, of you for me was that particular game um, as it was you know you, you won awards at Falkirk as you said before you did really really well at Falkirk and you became someone who was really really well liked and it got you moved back to the Scottish Premiership with Dundee um, you did really well with Dundee how, how did you, you find your, your sort of time there? I did really well did you say? Yeah, statistically. Um, so, uh, st- statistic-wise, I did. Um, Dundee was a strange, it was a strange one. Signed there in the, the summer, went, scored two goals on my debut. Um, I think I'd scored about seven goals by November time. Doing really, really well. Um, but the team went on a bit of a sticky patch. Mm-hmm. And the manager totally changed his tactics around Christmas time. It was the game before Christmas. Kane Hemmings, who hadn't performed particularly well, who I'm good friends with, was given the nod to play up front himself. We'd always played with two strikers with Dundee and it worked in my favour as it did at Falkirk. What I will say about Dundee is I, I don't think Paul Hartley deployed me. I don't think he really knew my strengths. At Falkirk, we had Phil Roberts who would run in behind and play in the shoulder. I was very much the link-up man. I would drop deep. I would get on the... I was almost like an attacking midfielder at Falkirk is how I would describe it. Whereas at Dundee, I would, the, the, the onus was on me to be that physical presence up front to take the ball in, that's just not my game. I'm never going to bully somebody. I'm never going to take it in and back in and you know win headers and, and, and bully people. But I still managed to score goals. So I think I'd scored, like I said, seven goals by November. The team went through a bit of a, a, a drought in terms of points and wins. He changed the system and put Kane in. And Kane scored a hat-trick that day. And from, the, I think it was December the 19th, from December the 19th to the end of the season, I firmly believe that Kane Hemmings was the best player in the league that year. Um, he got nominated for Player of the Year in the Premier League on the basis of six months because, see, up till December, and by his own admission, he was poor. He hadn't played particularly well. He wasn't really in the team. And then from December the 19th, with that hat-trick right through the end of the season, he was his touch, his link-up play. He was unbelievable. Now, Paul Hartley, because I'd done well for him and I'd started so well, tried to accommodate me by playing on the left-hand side. So yet again, I found myself playing out on the left. I'd lost a yard of pace since my leg break. Struggled to recover that as much as I tried to work on it. Um, techniques and running etc I'd lost a yard of pace so I wasn't as effective and the team actually done fine for seven games we never lost in that spell but I felt like I was just there I was in the team I wasn't doing badly I wasn't doing well I was just doing a job for the team um, but because we hadn't lost I, I kept my place which was fine came to Ibrox Scottish Cup 
away to Rangers. We played Celtic away on the Wednesday. The manager had rested a few players ahead of the Scottish Cup. We drew none at Parkhead. I'd finally got a wee opportunity to play up front. Done fine. And then he went back to his 4-3-3 and we get scudded 4-0. And I ended up playing as a, as a left-back with Kevin Holt. Like, I was doubled up left-back. And I just looked so uncomfortable in that position because I just don't play there, obviously. And I get taken at the team. Um, so it was a disappointing end to that season. But in terms of my stats, you're right. I think I must have started about 25 games for Dundee that year, or just in general. And I think I scored about, I don't know, 11 or 12 goals. I think it was in the league. I think it would have been about nine. I think across all competitions, 12. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, a lot of these perform- a lot of these appearances, I'll probably be down in the, the, these different pages that the stats go in is 45 appearances. But bear in mind, a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of, a lot of those would be 10 minutes. The thing is, as well, like, yeah, you jump in the whole division as well. So, obviously, football is a game of opinions. But when you look at it, you jump up division and you went into double figures. Like, it seemed like, especially in the first season, it's, yeah, you know, for me, it's it's adapting to a higher league. I, I think from a statistical point of view, if you prefer, it was definitely successful. But um, as it was, I think, you know, Dundee changed. I think I believe Dundee changed manager at that point. And obviously, you had further loan moves back to St. Marin. Um, you went back to Falkirk. But you're touching it before, like, you know, you feel like your, your professional career as a player is, is done. Um, and a lot of that would have probably had to do with that back injury that you had. When did that start playing on your mind that you started thinking, maybe I'm coming to the end here? Um, my, my final season at Falkirk, um, I was seriously unhappy. Um, not just on the pitch, but there, there was a lot going on off the pitch for me at the time. And mm-hmm. I just felt, I just felt that, it was, you know, I needed I needed some breathing space from the game, and the opportunity to go part time was one which I took, and I wanted to obviously try and work towards something else as well. I, I didn't want to get to thirty four, thirty five, and be like, right, what's next? I wanted to start to take the step to do that. I'd obviously done my license, etc., but wanted something tangible to go right. Well, if I can go to Dumbarton and you know start a career on the railway, that I might enjoy that, which which I didn't. Then when my back started to go as well, I, I couldn't like it was a um, prolapsed disc in my spine which was pushing against my sciatic nerve and oh. like uh, it's it's really <laughs> painful. Um, it is really painful and I think with the pain I was in, I was working a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night, a Saturday night, a Sunday night, and then training on a Tuesday and a Thursday and then playing on a Saturday. It wasn't a great setup the boys had uh, in terms of the, the railway and the, and the football. I didn't think, and I didn't enjoy it. And then with that coupled with my back, and I, I also started my, my my career in at Sky as well. It just got to a page where I was like, this almost like a a perfect storm in terms of like everything happened at once. I got my back injury. I left the railway, which I wasn't enjoying, and it just felt right. And I'd learned throughout my career. I tried to force things at different times throughout my career, and then certain things don't work out. And I told myself from that moment on, I was just going to go with what felt right. And at that point in time, it just felt right to take a step away. Um, it really, really did. So, I. Um, but my last season at Falkirk was probably the moment. Even when I went on loan at St Mon, Jack Ross had a word with me a few weeks in and got the best out of me. Um, really, really great man management and just a great guy and a great manager all around Jack Ross. And he got the best from me. And then went to Falkirk and Peter Houston left after a few weeks and Paul Hartley came back in. My, Paul, my relationship with Paul Hartley at that point was starting to fade slightly, I would say, and then as, as the weeks wore on, it just it just became unmanageable, is how I would describe it. Um, so I would say a, the last couple of years, 
um, or the or playing in the game. Um, I, I was probably ready to to get a bit of space from it, and when my back went as well, and I couldn't physically move anymore for a spell, I just thought now's the time. And it sounds like there's absolutely no regrets about that either. No, I mean I've got. There's points I'll look back on and go that what could have been, but mm-hmm. that's not that's not a healthy train of thought because I look back at what I did do and I look back at the experiences that I had, um, in the places I if this had went differently or if that had went differently, but in the same by the same token, if Carl if we hadn't played a bounce game against Carlisle that day, um, and they would have seen me, then I may my career may ended up. May have ended a year after leaving Rangers, so there's things to be grateful for looking back. But there's also moments where you go, "Oh, what might have been, what could have been." However, uh, you know, I've got closure on that now. Uh, I look back at my time in football; I had 15 years at it, and had some unbelievable experiences from um, the start right through to the end. So, aye, um, no regrets. Just, um, I just enjoy talking about football now and, and and looking to get back into it in some capacity in the near future. I think. Uh, Rory, thanks very much for your time. Absolutely cracking chat. Um, really in-depth. Really enjoyed it. I just hope you did as well, which I always say to every guest because I'm aware you've got to have fun as well as me. So I hope you did. Yes, indeed. Enjoyed it. Spot on, man.